0: Hello, and welcome to Seeds and Ways, a podcast. I'm the Reverend Dr. Cheryl A. Lindsay, Minister for Worship and Theology for the United Church of Christ. Today, I'm sharing my reflection, going ahead, based on Matthew 21, verses 23 through 32, which reads, When he entered the temple, the chief priest and the elders of the people came to him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Jesus said to them, I will also ask you a question. If You tell me the answer, then I will also tell you by what authority I do these things. Did the baptism of John come from heaven or was it of human origin? And they argued with one another. If we say from heaven, he will say to us, why then did you not believe him? But if we say of human origin, We are afraid of the crowd, for all regard John as a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. And he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. What do you think? A man has two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. He answered, I will not. But later he changed his mind and went. The father went to the second and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir but he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said the first. Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are going into the kingdom of God ahead of you. But John came to you in the way of righteousness and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even after you saw it, you did not change your minds and believe him. Going ahead. On occasion, like daily, I get distracted by watching reels, short videos on social media. Some demonstrate cooking, others platform comedians and their acts, and others show dance challenges. There's also an entire genre of videos by people sharing advice on a variety of topics, including productivity, health and wellness, and relationships. These are not my favorite. And I often wonder what credentials or background qualifies the speaker to render their advice with such conviction. My attitude towards these reels tends to be dismissive or even disdainful, depending on the nature of their content. That appears to be the same way that religious leaders react to the teaching of Jesus. They directly question his authority. Of course, At this point in the gospel narrative, Jesus has been ministering and teaching for a significant time. They have heard his teaching before, and it's worth noting that they never question the content of the teaching, just the person conveying it. Their objection, however, is to both, but they do not have an argument against the claims that Jesus makes that are deeply rooted in the law and the prophets. He knows the sacred text better than they do for reasons obvious to those who follow him, but oblivious to those who hold an adversarial attitude towards him. Jesus and his teaching threatens them. They question his authority because his message undercuts theirs. The priests and the elders have lost their way, forgetting that the role of religious leaders is to facilitate the faithful functioning of the community, not to hold power over, but to share power with those entrusted to their care. Jesus cuts through their rules and barriers, regulations and boundaries in order to be with those seeking an encounter with the Holy One. There's no need for an intermediary when the Creator comes to creation. The hostility towards Jesus rises as Matthew's Gospel moves into its final phase, leading to the conclusion of the earthly ministry of Jesus, which will usher in a new era, Naturally, the conflict between Jesus and the religious rulers heightens correspondingly. There is no inherent conflict, however, between Jesus and the Jewish people. He and his earliest and closest followers faithfully practiced the faith. In the early church, it was common for followers of Jesus to keep Sabbath on one day and to gather for Christian worship and fellowship the next. It's important to remember this reality as this passage, among others, has been used to denigrate Jewish people and to justify violence against them. Not only is that harmful, but it's not faithful to the good news of Jesus. Both Warren Carter and Anna Case Winters speak powerfully to this. Quote, such interpretations of Christian scriptures constitute a long, shameful, and tragic tradition of anti-Jewish attitude and practices among Christian groups that should not be forgotten, but should never be replicated. Such readings pose an ongoing challenge to gospel readers. Has God forever abandoned Israel, revoking covenant with God's people? Has God withdrawn love and grace once and for all? It is both tragic, given the history of interpretation, and hopeful. For a different future, to recognize that these supersessionist or replacement readings are not inevitable or necessary, they can be interrupted." End quote. Warren Carter. And quote, there is a troubling supersessionist turn in some commentaries when they work out interpretations of these two parables. They take them to mean that the church now supersedes Israel in God's work of salvation. In the parable of the two sons, they associate the disobedient son with Israel and the obedient son with the church. In the second parable, they associate the evil tenets with Israel, and the other new tenets with the church, quite apart from the way in which such interpretations could promote supersessionism and its attendant abuses, this is a distortion of the plain meaning of the parable. Jesus' target is the religious leaders, not Israel as such. It is unlikely that Matthew or his predominantly Jewish community would have promoted this idea, setting Jew against Gentile in their shared community of faith. Matthew maintains a privileged place for Israel in God's salvation history while opening God's blessing to all the nations. The inclusion of the nations was part of the traditional Jewish eschatological hope. There is much more reason to believe Matthew is associating Israel with the vineyard itself. It is a change in the leaders that is needed, replacing the unfaithful with faithful leaders. End quote. Anna Case Winters. Jesus responds to the leader's questions with his own. It's a rhetorical tactic that he employs frequently in his teaching and interaction. He guides them to a position of supporting his argument. The leaders recognize the potential trap as they confer with each other and feign ignorance. As they claim not to know the answer, they expose the cowardice beneath the bravado. Bullies inevitably retreat when their attempts to dominate and destroy are met with resistance. Jesus is not playing their game and refuses to answer as they refuse to answer. The difference is Jesus is upfront that although he knows the answer, he will not continue to engage on their terms while, when their actions reflect a lack of integrity. Then he turns to a story, another favorite rhetorical response. It's interesting how much theological and public discussion among Christians centers around so-called commands found in the Bible when Jesus responded to such inquiries with a story. Even the witness of the he- Hebrew scriptures focuses on remembering the story of God's act in human history. For Jesus, the way to truth comes through exploring a pithy story with powerful and simple meaning. This story, or parable, speaks to integrity, grace, and relationship. Quote, but with marvelous brevity, beauty, and simplicity, Jesus uses these stories to crack our eyes and ears open to the wonder of God's grace and the danger of rejecting it. These stories encompass more than our personal salvation or our personal relationship with Jesus. In Jesus' context, they also focus on how God chooses a community of people, who will reflect his character as they work to restore a broken world. And yet, because God's kingdom is both big and little, global and personal, we can apply these stories on a personal level as well. End quote. Matt Woodley. Ultimately, the leaders want Jesus to submit to their authority. In other words, they want to control him and his message. Control always leads to diminution and and restriction. That's not the way of Jesus, which progresses through invitation and attraction rather than coercion or compulsion. The leaders reject Jesus just as they rejected John the Baptist. Those who receive the invitation with glad, halting, or even uncertain acceptance will receive the harvest and assume their position in the kingdom. The least will attain the most, and the power-seeking will be disappointed. Those in need of the most grace will receive it and those who withhold it from others will not find it from them, for themselves. The outsiders, will go, the outsiders will be chosen to go ahead of the insiders who refuse the leadership of Jesus the Christ. Thank you for joining me. I'd love to hear your thoughts. You can find the full Sermon Seeds entry, including a suggested congregational response, quotes for further reflection, voices of African descent, and the roadmap the entire season on ucc.org. Sermon Seeds also has a Facebook page where I do a weekly Facebook Live process video in preparation for the reflection and share updates and links for Sermon Seeds and Worship Ways. Follow us there and subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. I pray that this tool provides a seed that will bear fruit in your faith community as you proclaim the Word of God to the people of God. Thanks be to God.